Almighty Father, uh, as we come to your word now, we ask that you'd make Jesus clear to us and vivid to us. Uh, you, we ask you to do in us uh, whatever is necessary. Well, actually, very particularly, Lord, will you do in us what, what you were doing in the Samaritan woman? Uh, will you uh, do whatever is necessary to bring us to a place where we're really tasting and, and, and receiving that living water? We want that living water to be a, a, a well, a fountain, springing up to eternal life. Um, even if we don't know what that means, uh, uh, we, we want it. And we ask that we would also, like uh, this Samaritan woman, um, be people who, through whom you do that in others. Just like she became an instrument of uh, the renewal of her entire village. Um, do that in every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And uh, do uh, turn back to page uh, 9 and 10 in your service sheets. We're looking at that uh, gospel reading, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We're going to be looking at this um, story for the next few weeks. We're going to take, a, we're going to, we're going to park here for a little bit. And uh, here's, here's part of why we're going to do that. Um, each day, pretty much every day, uh, I pray for at least three things for us as a church. Uh, I, I ask God to give us mission, deep transformation, and long-term impact. So uh, I, I ask the Lord to, to give us mission. Um, so Lord, uh, uh, don't let us just be a club for ourselves, um, but rather make us a gift to the city that we live in, to the people whom we know, uh, grant that we become a people who are skilled at describing the beauty of Jesus Christ to other people so that they get to know Jesus too. And secondly, um, I ask the Lord to give us deep transformation. Um, God, uh, help us. Lord, I just ask that, that you would do something through us, but, but do something in us, Lord. Um, Lord, make us not just uh, pleasantly religious and inert, but rather, make us to be a people who, uh, so to speak, shine with the beauty of Jesus Christ so that when other people look at us, what we do, what we say, how we serve, uh, our character, when people look at us, they, they actually go away noticing Jesus and, and not us. Deep transformation. And then lastly, um, give us long-term impact. Grant that um, what you do among us here matters after we're dead. Now, that's just a little bit of an insight into how uh, I pray. I invite you to join in with me in those prayers. Uh, but it also gives an insight into why we're looking at this story for the next few weeks. Because this story, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, brings together uh, a mission and deep transformation in one story. So, for instance, if you want to know what it is that Christians are talking about or what Jesus is talking about when he talks about mission, then look at this story. He'll, he'll teach us. On the other hand, if you want to know what, uh, what that deep transformation work is that God wants to work in you and in us, then, once again, look at this story and you'll see it play out. Jesus does both, mission and transformation. Um, we get to look at this story. It's a case study. We get to look at the story and we get to see how does Jesus do mission, how does Jesus work transformation, and then we get to see the transformation he wants to affect in you and in me, 
and the, uh, the mission that he wants to do through us. So that's what we're gonna be looking at, mission and transformation over these next few weeks as we look at this story. Now, here's what I wanna show you today, however, just one thing. We're just gonna, each week, we're just gonna look at a little piece of the story. Here's what I wanna show you. According to Jesus, mission, uh, engaging other people's lives with the good news of Jesus Christ and blessing them and inviting them into a living relationship with God, mission was not a duty to endure, but rather it's a delight. And it refreshes and renews the people of God as we do it. Um, I say that some of us are afraid of mission. Some of us dread the whole idea of mission. Some of us just kind of go, I don't know whether that has anything to do with me. I don't even know what it means. But what I want to show you today is that Jesus calls all of us to mission, and it's a gift that he gives for your renewal. And to show you that, the first thing I want to show you is that it was a way which Jesus himself was renewed. Jesus was renewed himself spiritually through mission. Let me show you. Um, start at the, uh, the end of the story. Turn over to page 10. Um, let me just recap really quick uh, how the story unfolds. Um, it's lunchtime in the middle of, of central uh, Palestine uh, in an area called Samaria. Uh, Jesus has skipped lunch and spent his lunch hour talking with a Samaritan woman. We'll talk about their conversation in just a few minutes. But look at verse 31. The disciples come to Jesus, and they're worried that he skipped lunch. They say, Jesus, come on, you need to eat. Eat. Here's some food. Eat. But Jesus says, verse 32, I have food that you don't know about. Now, the disciples don't get it. They think he's just um, got some lunch on the sly while they were gone, but that's not the point. Verse 34, look at verse 34. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, watch that verse, because that's the kind of verse that it's really easy just to skip over, because it sounds like the kind of thing that you expect Jesus to, to say, and so you just get slightly fuzzy, and then you just move on, right? Don't do that. Look, look, look at it. Because if you and I actually believed what that verse says, it would change the way we follow Jesus. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, disciples... Obeying God in mission renews me, strengthens me, energizes me, empowers me very, very profoundly. He says, it's yummier than the lunch you've brought me. It's, as, it's just great. The point is, Jesus was spiritually renewed by mission. He was spiritually renewed by obeying God through serving other people in what was actually kind of a little bit of an awkward interaction. Now, right off the bat, do you, is that the way you think about serving and obeying Jesus? Like, is that what comes up for you? Now, that's where Jesus wants to take us. Let me show you how Jesus got there. Go back to the beginning of the story. Um, Jesus and his disciples, they're passing, passing through Samaria. They're going from Jerusalem up to uh, Jesus' hometown in Galilee. And uh, they have to pass through this place called Samaria, which was just awkward. We'll get there in a second. But it's 12 noon. It's hot. They've been walking all day long. And so they stop for lunch, which is great, right? And Jesus, it's very important. It's emphasized in the text. Jesus is thirsty. He is hungry. And he's deadbeat exhausted. So, understandably, he sits down at a well outside the city. The disciples go in for falafel, or whatever it is that they were 
we're going to get, I don't know. That's what I ate when I was here. But anyways, um, it was very good. Uh, and, but anyways, so Jesus sits down. There's a woman at the well. There, usually the wells at this time of day, there's nobody going to be there because they generally people uh, get water in early morning and late afternoon because of the, um, the heat. So, but there's a woman there. Jesus leans over and he says, can I have a drink? And that's when it all kicks off. Because immediately Jesus says, can I have a drink? And immediately she shoots him back this suspicious look, and everything goes super awkward. And she basically says in so many words, what? why are you talking to me? What? Did, I, did I ask you to talk? Why are you talking to me? What is this about? What's going on? And it's very, very odd. Now, what's happening there? There's a lot of things that are happening there that make this an awkward interaction. But part of it is that Jesus, by just asking for a drink, stepped right into just a hornet's nest of first century Palestinian identity politics. Here's what happens. The Samaritans were a a distinct religious group and they were at odds with Jewish religious identity. Tension, big tension. The Samaritans were also ethnically distinct with a distinct ethnic identity, long complicated story of interactions uh, with um, with the Jewish nation and so there's just zero trust between these two groups. They just they don't talk to each other. It's better, it seems, that they just don't talk to each other. And so Jesus, now I know that none of us here can, uh, none of us have ever lived in a society where there's a little bit of, ten, you know, um, political and uh, partisan tension, right? So we can't identify with this at all, can we? Anyways, Jesus crosses party lines just by asking for a drink. But there's more. There's something personal going on here. Because in just a few verses later, we find out that this woman had just a torturous relationship history. So she's had five husbands, Jesus says. Um, She's presently living with number six, uh, and it appears that that one's complicated at best. And there's just a whole payload of unanswered questions right there. Had she been abused by those men? Maybe. Did she carry shame because of those relationships? Very likely. Was she suspicious of Jesus, not just because he was Jew, but because he was a man? Very likely. We don't know for sure, but we do know that in that moment, uh, Jesus asked for a drink, and he got a whole lot of awkward. And this is the critical moment, because what he could have done, what would you have done? What would I have done? He could have just said, ooh, awkward, sorry, and just put in his, his earphones, and it would have been fine, right? It would have been fine. That's the easiest way to deal with the awkward. But what does Jesus actually do? Instead, something remarkable happens right between verses 9 and 10. Jesus looks at this woman in extraordinary pain. She's suspicious, but behind that, there's pain. And, she, and, and he looks into this woman's eyes, and he sees this beautiful human being who has been deeply broken by the brokenness of the world that Christians call sin. And Jesus, in that moment, he knows that God the Father sent him precisely to heal that brokenness. He didn't just see awkward. He saw somebody. 
And then he looks at this woman and he also sees just the, the hatred, centuries of hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. And he knows that God the Father has sent him to tear down that wall of hostility between those groups and bring reconciliation. He looks at this woman and he sees shame. You know, did her eyes just kind of dart away and not want to make eye contact with him? He looks at this woman and he sees somebody who is racked with shame and he knows that God the Father has sent him to take that shame away. And he looks at this woman, and maybe above all, he looks at this woman who is very thirsty, not just thirsty for the water that's in the well, but more deeply thirsty for a relationship with God that she is certain that she can never have. And Jesus looks at this thirsty soul, and he knows that God the Father has sent him to give uh, water that springs up into eternal life to people who are in the middle of a desert. See, Jesus looks at this woman, and he sees precisely the person that God the Father has sent him to. And so in that moment, Jesus switches into missional gear. What does that mean? It means that he took his immediate needs, for instance, his thirst. Jesus never gets water in this story. He takes his thirst and he sets it aside. He takes his fatigue and he sets it aside. He takes his privacy and he sets it aside. He takes his tribes and he sets them aside. He takes his culture and he sets it aside. He takes his desires and he sets it aside. He takes himself and he sets it aside. And instead, he decides that obeying God in mission is better than all of those things. And so he picks up compassion and love and truth and self-sacrifice. And then he steps forward into the awkward and he says something that this woman was not anticipating, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now pause there. We'll come back to that verse, but for the moment. Focus on Jesus' decision to obey God in mission. He didn't have to, really, in a way, but just think about that. Because humans consistently, not always, yeah, pretty much consistently, think, um, we assume that, that obeying God is going to be a drag. We assume it's going to be lame, right? You can see it all through the Bible, but most of us can just look into our own souls and see a good deal of evidence, right? So just, for example, Adam and Eve, right? God, in that story, God gives them you know, all the trees of the garden except for one, but all the trees of the garden except for one. And, and so, you know, they've got this great deal, but then the serpent comes and just says, you know, following God's a drag. And they go, yeah, good point, okay. And that's it. And it's like we've, we've believed that ever since. And a lot of us, even those of us who are Christians, um, isn't there part of you that, that believes that if you really served God, if you really obeyed him, that it would be hard and dull and generally not something to look forward to. And if that's where you're at, or if there's any, even any part of us that's like that, then this is the next step of transformation that Jesus wants to affect in your life. He wants to undo that lie. Because here in this story, we get to look at Jesus, and you get to look at Jesus as somebody who is an unbroken human, a human who's not living under lies. A human who's not um, living into the brokenness that's all around us. You get to see a human who is fully, really healthy and human. 
And for that human, Jesus, serving God is a delight. It's demanding. I mean, in fairness, he, he gets killed for it later on. But it's a delight. It's a fountain of joy. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said this. We drink in strange notions about holiness and obeying God from our childhood as if it were a melancholy, morose, sour, unpleasant thing. But there's nothing in it but that which is sweet and ravishingly lovely. It is the highest beauty and amiableness, vastly above all other beauties. It is a divine beauty. It makes the soul heavenly and far purer than anything here on earth. It is of a sweet and pleasant, charming, lovely, amiable, delightful, serene, calm, still nature. It is almost too high a beauty for any creature to be adorned with because it makes the soul a little sweet and delightful image of the blessed Jehovah. See, that's the idea that drives Jesus. He looks at this woman and he knows that God wants him to serve her and bless her. And Jesus' love for God makes him prefer that mission and that task over his own present comfort. And then at the very same time, Jesus' heart floods with love for her. That's what's happening in verse 10, among many other things. But just again, look at verse 10. Jesus says, if you knew the love of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Now, I read that again. Can you hear the compassion in that verse? It's as if Jesus groans with sorrow and love and desire for her healing all at the same time. It's as if Jesus looks at her and says, oh, my dear woman, I know you don't trust me. Why would you? And I know you can't imagine that God would ever love you, but if you only knew what was true, if you could only see what it is that I can see right now, if you only knew who I was, you would ask for a water that I would give you that would change absolutely everything about you. Now, did any of that make sense to the woman in that moment? No, not initially. But can you see in the story how even right at that moment, she begins to shift, she begins to change. I expect that in that moment, as she heard Jesus say those words, both the, even if she didn't understand the words, she could hear the subtext that was coming out of his soul. Um, God's love is like that. Very often, this is going to sound weird, very often you can smell God's love before you can understand it. There's something that just draws us towards him. Even if it, none of it makes sense, but there's something that kind of draws us towards him and begins to allow us to trust before we ever understand. And that's when transformation begins. So remember the question, why does mission renew and refresh Jesus? And the answer is because Jesus' heart is flooded with love for God. And that love for God led Jesus to expect that obeying God and following God's mission is a good and delightful thing. It's desirable, it's demanding, but desirable. And then at the same time, not only was Jesus 
flooded with love for God, but he was also flooded with God's love for the broken. And that love for the broken led Jesus, compelled him to to minister and to care for somebody who would have been easier to ignore. Now, let's turn the corner. Because that's the transformation Jesus wants to affect in your life. He wants to make you like him in this regard. Jim, where do you get that? Where's that about in the text? Well, look back at the Bible. Not only does mission renew Jesus, mission also renews God's people. Look at verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus says, uh, tells the disciples, obeying God's better than bread, right? Better than lunch. And then verse 35, he, in so many words, he looks at the disciples and he says, and by the way, there's enough bread to go around. There's going to be a big, a lot of bread because there's a big old harvest. Look at verse 35. Do not say, talking to the disciples, that there are yet four more months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. But then look at verse 38. Jesus says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's the point. Amongst many other things, Jesus is saying, listen, disciples, I have sent you to do the same thing that I was just doing now. And he says, there's a big old harvest out there. And it's likely that Jesus, when he's saying this, he's pointing to that town where this woman had just run to the town and then people are starting to pour out of the town. Jesus is pointing to the disciples and he says, you see that crowd? The harvest is coming. There's more bread, and you, disciples, are sent into that. He says there's joy in this harvest as we, all of us, get to engage in mission and bless people in Jesus' name. There's joy and there's renewal. There's strengthening for the disciple. That's why he says that there's joy amongst the harvesters. Now, as usual, the disciples don't get it, which is really helpful to us because we don't get it either. So Jesus says, he, he says, To help you understand this, look at the Samaritan woman. Just look at the Samaritan woman, and you'll see, disciples, Emmanuel Church, how this plays out. So let's look at the Samaritan woman. Do you remember? um, Jesus was thirsty, right? But he sets aside his thirst. He never gets a drink uh, because mission's more urgent. The same thing happens to the woman. Look, verse 28. What does she do with the water bottle? She leaves it there. She leaves her water bottle. You don't leave your water bottle. She leaves her water bottle right there, and she runs. Is she still thirsty? Maybe she forgot about it. She runs into into town. Why? To describe Jesus' beauty to her whole town. Now, here's the thing. That is not dull duty. People who are thinking about duty always carry a water bottle with them. I I don't mean that. You, You know what I mean, though, in the context? She's forgetting her water bottle. She's running in joy. She comes, she says, come and see this man. Is he the Christ? What had happened is she had met Jesus. And just the same process that happened within Jesus was happening within her. God floods her with love. And God's love triggered in her love for other people. 
No longer is she primarily suspicious and cautious around other people with her defenses up saying, don't you dare get too close because I've been here before. She's not doing that anymore. She's saying, let me show you, come, come here. She's engaging with people and saying, let me show you this guy. And as a result, at the end, she is this transformed, engaged, glorious disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is telling all of his disciples, saying, that's how it's done. In other words, Jesus used a religiously heretical, morally questionable Samaritan woman to show the disciples how to do their job. Now, how are we doing with that? How are you doing with that? What is it that comes into your mind when you think of following Jesus in mission? Do you desire to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to people who have never seen his beauty before? Does that get you excited? Does it make you go, yeah? Do you desire to reflect Jesus' beauty, to serve people in a way where Jesus' beauty is made clear as the only explanation? And if you find that you, that you think about that and you kind of go, dull duty, uh, roll my eyes, or guilt, then, then let me say this to you. Verse 10's for you. If you only knew the gift of God, Emmanuel, and if you only understood and could see the beauty and the reality of Jesus Christ, we would ask, and Jesus would give us living water that would well up like a fountain to eternal life for you and me and for the city as well. See how this story brings together mission and transformation. Did you think they were different? Jesus wants to meet you and show you in a new way the gift that God has to give you. He wants to transform you. He wants to flood you with love for him and love for other people. Some of us here may, may be saying, I'm not even sure. I'm not even like on your team. I'm not even a Christian. Great, this is for you. Others of us have been, I've been in this for forever. Great, this is for you. He wants to flood you with his love, show you Jesus, and then send you out in mission so that you're renewed, fed, refreshed in joining in Jesus and his mission. So, get praying about that. Ask God to show you his gift and who Jesus is in greater clarity, and we'll keep on looking at it. Amen.